Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are in the section of Ephesians where Paul is teaching us how to live a worthy Christian life. In other words, to live like those who have the awesome riches of being in Christ that we learned about in the first three chapters. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to live a worthy Christian life, we must reject the self-life and embrace the kind of life that God recreated us for. That's what Paul told us in verses 20 through 24, where he said, but you have not so learned Christ. You haven't learned the self-life from Jesus. If so be, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. What did Jesus teach us? That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old conduct, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And instead, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That type of radical change between verses 17 and 19 and verses 22 through 24 that requires a new way of thinking, to let our mind be renewed by what Jesus taught us. And so, starting in verse 25, Paul, he's going to get personal with us. Paul is going to invade our space to remind us how different our personal conduct should be, that Christians live differently than those who are not saved. So, verse 25, let's begin. Paul says, wherefore, putting away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. And so what we see here is Paul, he starts off by saying, wherefore, which harkens back to what he's just said. In other words, because Jesus taught us something different, because Jesus taught us to put off the old man, let God renew our mind, and put on the new man that God created us to be when we were saved. Because of that, do this, is what he says. Now, this pattern of what Paul said in verses 22 through 24 is going to follow us throughout all the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. He's going to tell us we need to stop doing something we were doing, He's going to tell us we need to let God rework our thinking on that subject, and then he's going to tell us we need to start acting differently. We need to put on a new way of living, a new conduct. Now, the first subject that Paul applies this to of stop doing something, being renewed in our thinking about that topic, and then doing something different. The first subject Paul applies that formula to is the topic of honesty. He says, wherefore, putting away lying. He says, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Putting away, putting off, stopping, he says, not lying, but the lie. We talked about this last week, but the truth is in Jesus. The self-life, the old man is a lie. It's not the truth. So he says, wherefore, putting away the lie, that lie of the self-life, the old man, he says, let's speak every man truth with his neighbor. The word speak here, it's an imperative, and it means be continuously speaking truth with your neighbor. What's truth? Truth, in biblically speaking, whenever you see the word truth, you can almost always substitute the word that which is real reality. In other words, it's that which is in accordance with what really happened. Paul the apostle, he says, having put away the lie, speak every man. Be continuously speaking what really happened with your neighbor in the company of your neighbor. 
When we reject the self-life and we decide to imitate Jesus, our approach to communication changes. It's different now. When we're in the company of others, we leave behind the practice of lying and we speak about what really happened. Now, of all the things that Paul could and will bring up as he's invading our personal space, I find it fascinating that he starts with lying. Like, I I could think of a lot more, in my mind, serious topics to bring up first. But Paul starts with lying. Why does he start with lying? I think he starts with lying because it's an epidemic among human beings. If you want to do some honest evaluation to prove how ingrained lying is into our lives, sit down for 10 minutes this afternoon and make a list of everything you've said in the last 24 hours that wasn't entirely true. And make sure you cut yourself zero slack. You will be horrified at what you find. Because I don't think any of us realizes just how easily we tweak reality in our speech. We tolerate so many minor exaggerations, partial truths, and outright lies from our own lips because we become okay with the idea that the end justifies the means. It's not really a falsehood to me if the goal is something I'm convinced will be beneficial to me or even to those I care about. And so we tweak reality a little bit. But in every instance that we do that, we are not trusting God. That is the self-life. It's the mindset that says, well, I know God says to speak what really happened, but I know my boss. I know my spouse, or I know my friend. I know them all well enough to know that saying what really happened, or saying what I really want, or saying what I really think, is not going to end up well, or at least not as well as if I tweak reality just a little bit. I am absolutely horrified at how quickly my mind just turns to a tweak of reality, to make myself look a little bit more favorably, to make what I'm about to say to someone else be a little bit easier to hear, or to make what I say about to someone easier for them to favor me. I mean, it's so easy how we just tweak it just a little bit. That's lying. It's something that is a part of the self-life. It's a part of the old life. It's not to be a part of our lives. Because what happens when we tolerate those little tweaks is we, we, without even realizing it, we just stop telling the truth. And if you do that, enough, you start to create a web of reality that isn't really reality. And I have unfortunately run into people who talk about things that never really happened and they really actually think they are true because they've told the lie so long that they have woven it into the fabric and the story of their lives. Now, speaking truth to one another does not mean we need to say everything we've ever thought. Proverbs 29 talks about this. In verse 11, it has a non-flattering comparison to those who speak their whole mind. It says, A fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in till afterwards. Telling the truth doesn't mean, well, I need to tell the truth, so here's what I think. No, there are probably many times you need to not say what you're thinking, and what you need to do is take that to the Lord and ask Him to change your thinking. 
You say, well, I'm just being honest. No, you're being rude or unkind. You don't need to speak everything that you've ever thought. But the point is, if you're going to speak, if we're going to speak, our words need to be in accordance with what really happened. There is no tweaking allowed. And this is especially true in our communications with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Paul says, be speaking every man. So you're not exempt from this. Every person, this applies to you. Be speaking every man what is in accordance with reality, what really happened with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. This is the reason that telling the truth is so important. It's in view of the fact that we are connected. We are different parts of the same body. I'm not the same part you are in the church, but we are the church. We're connected. The ancient pastor Chrysostom said this. He said, let not the eye lie to the foot, nor the foot to the eye. If there be a deep pit and its opening is covered with reeds, and it shall present to the eye the appearance of solid ground, will not the eye use the foot to ascertain whether it is hollow underneath or whether it is firm and resists? Will the foot tell a lie and not the truth as it is? And what again, if the eye were to spy a serpent or a wild beast, will it lie to the foot? It's a silly thought, but can you imagine how our physical bodies would function if our different body parts didn't communicate truthfully with each other? If the eye's like, ooh, I see that pit there that the foot's going to step into, but I don't want him to be upset at me. I don't want the foot to think badly about me. I don't want him to think I'm critiquing him because everybody says the eye's bossy. You see this, you see this. I know it's a silly thought and a silly illustration, but, but when you really think about it, it would be a disaster if our physical bodies functioned like that. In fact, it is a disaster. We call it sickness when the body isn't communicating or isn't able to communicate clearly with itself. We don't want to be a sick body. We want to be a healthy body because we are one body, wonderfully united by Jesus. That's what Ephesians has been teaching us, right? We're one body, wonderfully united by Jesus with the goal of becoming mature. And when we lie to a brother or sister in Christ and we tweak reality, well, we're only hurting ourselves, even if it seems like we're coming out ahead for now. We're only hurting ourselves because we are keeping truth from someone we're connected to. And so if you have been in the habit of being dishonest, it is time to stop. Paul says it's time to stop. You Ephesians, you're saved now, stop being dishonest. Worthy personal life, worthy everyday Christian life means letting God changing our thinking about honesty. It's the idea of thinking that, well, when I do this, it's not a positive thing. It's a negative thing because I'm a part of something. We have to let God change our thinking so that instead of embracing this idea that, well, if I tweak the truth a little bit or if I withhold a little bit of information or if I I don't speak exactly what really happened, then things will be better, we'll embrace the thought, no, if I speak the truth, that's the best way things can be. It means embracing a life of honesty. Now, one last thought before we move on. This type of speaking of the truth that he's talking about here, that also means that 
being passive-aggressive and any other form of manipulation is not okay. That's not speaking truth. If the family's all being like, hey, you know, we're going to do this, and you're like, I didn't want to do that. And you're like, hey, come on, sit down. And be like, well, I guess I will if I have to. That's not what you really are thinking. What you're really thinking is, I don't want to do that. So either, if you're thinking, I don't want to do that, repent and go, God, it's not about me. I'm not supposed to be selfish and go sit down. Or say, I don't want to sit down. I don't want to do that. Because when you're being passive aggressive, what you're trying to do is manipulate people to do something that they don't want to do or wouldn't normally do, but without speaking the truth to them. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Being passive aggressive or trying to manipulate someone is not a biblically valid form of communication. It's a prohibited one. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He didn't say, let your yes be yes and no be no unless you're married to my husband or unless you're married to my wife. Don't try to get people to do something by exaggerating, hinting, or withholding information. If you're going to speak, speak the truth. So I ask you this morning, have you made the decision to put off lying? I dare say all of us could benefit from such a decision because lying is a sin we just tend to ignore or tolerate. So much so that we become even unaware that we're doing it. And so that's why it may be necessary this morning to put it off. You know, it may be necessary for you to take some time today and just, you know what, Lord, I need to make a fresh start with you. I need you to change my way of thinking toward lying. You know, I need to put on honesty today. And if you need to do that this morning, don't leave today. Don't just go home and go, oh, you know, I need to do better. No, take some time and tell the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm putting off lying. I'm asking you to help my mind, renew my mind in regards to honesty. Help me to see that every time I speak, I'm speaking to people who are connected to me in some way. And I choose to embrace honesty instead. And I promise you, if you'll do that, God will help you with that. He will work that change in your life. Well, the next topic that Paul brings up is handling anger righteously. He says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Both of these deal with anger. Paul here in verse 26, at the beginning, he quotes Psalm 4.4, be angry and sin not. In Psalm 4.4 in the Hebrew, the word angry, it means to quiver with violent emotion, to tremble with agitation or annoyance. Now, I know maybe I'm the only one who's ever experienced that. Someone knocks on the door and they tell you something or you get that text or you get that phone call and you put the phone down and your whole body's just kind of, your blood's boiling and you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that or I can't believe somebody did that. Oh, that's what this word describes. The word in the Greek here in the New Testament means to be furious. It refers to the emotional displeasure that is aroused when you perceive something wrong has been done. I would have things when I was in the restaurant industry, working in the school system, I'd have situations. I was in management in both situations. You sit down, you talk with the staff for the day, I'm like, this is the plan. Like, this is what we're going to do, and do not do this. And inevitably, someone would walk in and be like, hey, this happened. And I'm like, didn't we say we're not going to do this today? And you just feel like the whole, just the trembling is coming up inside. I'm furious. Like, we spearheaded this at the beginning of the day. Why is this happening? That's what this describes here. Now, this kind of anger, it can be righteous or it can be wicked. 
It was used to describe Jesus' anger in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus, it was the Sabbath day, and there was a man who was in need of healing, and everyone was watching to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day because that was a no-no. Not no-no according to God, but according to their traditions. And so Jesus says to all these people who are watching when he tells the guy to stand up, and he asks him, he goes, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And it says, but they held their peace. They didn't want to be drawn in. We want to see what you do. We already have our opinion on this. Don't try to tell us truth. Don't try to bring us back to the heart behind the law of the Sabbath. And the Bible tells us when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch forth your hand, and he healed him. But like, he looked around, he's like, really? You think this is okay? This is so wrong right now. This is so wrong. All of you are so wrong right now. This guy is suffering, and I can help him, and all you care about is your traditions. He was furious. So it can be righteous or it can be wicked. And so that's why Paul says, be ye angry, but you must not keep sinning in doing so. Now, be angry here. He's not telling us, get angry. It's a permissive imperative, which means it's not exactly a command. It means if your anger is going to be aroused by something, then you must not keep on sinning when it is. In other words, there is nothing wrong with not liking how someone treats you, right? If some, I never got it. Like my very first pastor, we would be out working and he would be hammering something and he would boom and you'd hear it like he hit a thumb or something and he'd go, praise the Lord. And I'd be like, dude, you are an alien. Because <laughs> that is not how I'm feeling when that happens. Now, I, I found out later on he had a serious anger problem, and he had learned to counter that with, hey, well, I'm going to react a different way. We'll get into that in a moment. But the idea is it's, it's not the natural response when someone cuts you off on the road to be like, oh, bless you, child. <laughs> that's counterintuitive, okay? That's countered our normal reaction. I have trained myself when I get cut off now. I go, Lord, I don't know where they're headed. Maybe they're, they're in an emergency. Maybe they've had a bad day. Lord, keep them safe. Help them not to get in an accident. Remind them to slow down, drive safe, and bless them. But that's not my natural reaction. My natural reaction is this word. There's nothing wrong with not liking how someone treats you or not liking certain kinds of behavior. There's nothing wrong with thinking that those behaviors are wrong. And certainly there's nothing wrong when our anger is aroused because evil's being done. I didn't learn about the shooting in Texas until late that evening. Bev mentioned it. To, I just, I, I can stay away from news and stuff a lot sometimes just because, well, because what we already learned, speak the truth and there's not a whole lot of truth out there. So, but she mentioned it to me and so I was following up that night trying to find out what was going on. I was angry. Should be angry. It was wicked. 20-something lives were snuffed out. But why? Because some guy decided he needed to go shoot people up. That's wicked. It's evil. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. So certainly there's nothing wrong when our anger is aroused because evil's being done. But while Paul allows us this human emotion, he tells us you need to stop acting on it in a sinful way. The Ephesian Christians had gotten saved, but they were still acting like they did when they were unbelievers as it regards how they handled that welling up of fury. 
When something wrong was done to them or they didn't like something and the feelings of anger, the trembling started to happen, they would act in a sinful way on that. And he says, you need to stop doing that. In other words, he says the self-life gets angry and then doesn't care what God says about how we deal with the fury that's been aroused in us. The self-life says, I'm going to handle this how I want because I'm justified. Wrong was done to me, or wrong was done to someone I love, or wrong was done in the world. So I'm going to act like this, and I don't care what God says about how I'm supposed to act. That's sin. We need to stop doing that. We need to let God change how we think about anger. Now, the wrong way to think toward anger, that feeling we have, is found by looking at the different word Paul uses for anger at the end of this verse. He says, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. The word wrath here is a different word. It means anger that is accompanied by irritation, exasperation, and embitterment. We cross the line into sin the moment we move from being furious at a wrong done to being irritated or annoyed at someone. That's when we cross the line into sin. You may have heard the phrase, hate the sin but love the sinner. Well, this is similar. Be angry at the wrong thing that was done, but don't be angry at people. Righteous anger is furious that a wrong was done, but wicked anger becomes irritated and annoyed and bitter at the person who did the wrong, and that is sin. Paul is saying here, listen, anger happens, and sometimes it's not a bad thing, but do not end your day lying in bed having acted on that anger in a sinful way. That is a horrible thing. None of us should be laying down at the end of our day, and we go to the Lord, and and the Lord's like, hey, you had a rough day. And you're like, yeah, and I got him. That should never be the way that we end our day. Yeah, but I took care of it. That should never be the way we end our day. Hey, I noticed you got into an argument with your spouse today. Yep, and I put them in their place. That should not be the way we are at the end of our day. That is a horrid thing. It's sinful. Now, that means we're going to need to learn to exercise patience and self-control when our anger is aroused. That's what Christians do. When our anger gets aroused, just like it would be aroused by anybody else, we respond to that differently. And so the Bible has two places that it, it mentions this anger, one positive and one negative, I think, that are really helpful. It gives two pictures. So let's turn to Proverbs sixteen thirty-two, and then I'm going to read a verse from Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight. The first one's the positive, the second verse is the negative. Proverbs 16, 32, it says this. It says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. Now, when you think about that, the illustration here is the guy that captures a city, the guy who is considered the mighty, the the man of valor, you know, the hero in society, the superhero. You think of the guy everybody looks up to, everybody's hero everybody's idol. You say, that guy, he's got it good. The writer of Proverbs says, no, 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 it's better than that's place to be someone who exercises self-control over your own spirit. Someone who exercises patience and 
you're slow to anger. You're like the hero, better than the hero. Now, turn to Proverbs 25, 28. Gives a negative side of this. Proverbs 25, 28, it says, He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In other words, if if you're going to respond to anger however you deem fit, and you're not going to exercise patience and self-control with people when a wrong is done or you don't like how they've treated you, he says, then you're like a city that has no defenses. You are constantly open to the attack of the enemy. You are constantly vulnerable to temptation. You're constantly vulnerable to sin. I don't want to be that. I want to be a city that has good defenses. I want to be better than the hero. And so we've got these two very clear opposite reactions to anger that we can have and two very clear clearly different results. People oftentimes who have anger issues, they say, well, I just, I just keep losing my temper. I say, that's fascinating because anytime you're around me, you seem to find your temper really well. Seriously. I'm like, well, you can behave yourself now. Why is it you can behave yourself now? You're in my presence. How come now you're not cursing your spouse out like she's mentioning that you've been doing or he's been mentioning that you've been doing now? How come you can control yourself now? Why well, just lose control? Well, it seems to me like you have pretty good control right now. You want to know what to do if you're really having a problem with anger? Every time you get angry, call me. Serious. Call me up. Because I, I guarantee your behavior is going to do a 180 in that moment. You're going to all of a sudden find your temper. I know it because it happens. I'll hear about a problem going on. And I'll be like, somebody, hey, can you call so-and-so or call my spouse, whatever, and, you know, ring. They pick up, and I hear, hello. And I'm like, hey, this is Pastor Will. Hi, Pastor Will. What you calling for? You found your temper very easily. Don't call me all the time. (laughs) That's that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is is that what happens in our lives is we, we get into places where we tolerate our anger. We have certain people that we say, well, it's fine for me just to pop off on them whenever I don't like what they're doing. And we've come to terms with the fact that I'm going to handle this my way rather than exercise self-control and patience. So what you need to do is you do need to find someone that you can contact when the fury arises. If you're constantly having a problem with anger, one of the first things you need to do to get angry is find someone that you can contact. Someone who you know you're not just going to just lose it with, uh, that you can find your temper, and then you can calm down. Especially if it's someone that you frequently lose your temper with. We need to learn to exercise self-control and patience when our anger is aroused. In other words, we need to put on a new way of dealing with anger. We need to look to the Holy Spirit who produces the right response to anger. But that's not going to happen if we continue looking to ourselves, if we continue in the self-life. It's not going to happen if we continue acting on our anger in whatever way we deem best. Because when we think we're doing what's best for us, we expose ourselves to the tricks of the enemy. And so Paul goes on to say, neither. Neither means in addition to not ending your day, having acted on anger in a sinful way, stop doing this too, he says. Neither give place to the devil. 
Now, the word give place, that phrase, it means to grant someone a foothold, to grant someone an opportunity, to give someone a base of operations. When we are going to be individuals who say, well, I'm going to handle anger my way. When we do that, what we are doing is we are giving the devil a landing base of operations, a landing strip into our lives. And when the enemy realizes that something stirs you up to anger, I guarantee you that his reaction in some way is along these lines. Let's go, guys. Let's go. Because I know right where to poke. I know right where to poke. And if I keep poking hard enough, eventually that anger will spill over and become wrath. It will become sinful. Anger is such a tricky sin because we we end up dealing with temptations to wrath from two sides. We have the self-life mindset of the flesh, which wants to take matters into its own hands, and then we have an enemy who tempts us to become irritated and bitter. So you're getting kind of double hit. So what we need to do is we need to put off that landing base of operations, and instead we need to give place to something else. Look at Romans 12, verse 19. Romans 12, verse 19. Paul the Apostle says in verse 19, Dearly beloved, you who have been so greatly loved by God and by others, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place unto what? Wrath? I thought we're not supposed to have wrath. Why would I want to give a landing base of operations to wrath? Because it's not your wrath you're giving a landing base of operations too. He says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says who? The Lord. See, instead of giving the self-life a base of operations when with my anger, instead of giving the enemy a landing strip to operate my life when I'm angry, what I need to do is I need to decide to think about anger differently. And I need to say, you know what, God? I'm giving you the landing strip. You deal with the person however you think they need to be dealt with. If you think justice needs to be done, then bring justice. If you're working in their life somehow, and and, and that's why I allowed this to happen to me, then, Lord, I'm going to let you deal with that. I'm going to let you decide when wrath is necessary. I'm going to let your wrath be the one that deals with them, not mine. That is the new thing we need to put on. We need to say, I'm not going to handle this. Lord, I'm trusting you to handle this. Because if the wrong that's been done to you needs to be dealt with, let God be the one to do so. That's how we put on the new man in regards to anger. And so I ask you this morning, have you decided to put off wrath? Or do you give a landing base of operations for the enemy to work in your life? If you haven't made that decision yet, you need to do that this morning because it's not okay. Everybody gets angry sometimes. Everybody experiences that fury or that shakiness when something wrong's done or you're mistreated. But when that happens, you need to stop sinning. You can't just handle it on your own terms anymore. You've got to change your thinking. You've got to let God renew your mind that he's the one who deals with people in wrath, not us, because his wrath is perfect. Ours is not. The Bible says the wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. And slow... We're to be slow to speak, slow to wrath, and quick to listen. 
I don't know if you have an annoying wife like I do. She is. It's horrible. She'll say something that's not nice to me, and then I'll be like, oh, yeah, and I'll say something not nice to her. And she's like, hey, that's not nice. And I said, well, you said something not nice to me. And she'll say crazy logic like this, like, oh, so that means it's okay for you to speak not nice to me? And then I sit there and I go, wait a second, how am I the bad guy? (laughs) And the reason it bothers me so much is because she's 100% right. My sin is never somebody else's problem. My sin is my sin. It's my problem. Nobody else's fault. You made me angry. Nobody made you angry. Let me rephrase that. Nobody made you wrathful. Nobody made you act in a way with the anger you were feeling because of how they treated you. Nobody made you act in a way that's sinful towards them. That is an unbiblical idea. So we shouldn't say, you made me angry. There are times that, you know, me and Bev in conversing with each other have said things like, I'm angry at you right now. But we'll still treat each other with kindness. We'll still try to communicate in a way that is biblically correct and not let wrath whether it's my self-life or the enemy, that irritation, that annoyance, and that bitterness, not let that step in. But rather deal with our anger in a biblical way by saying, God, if you sense some injustice has been done, then you deal with it. But for me, I'm not going to act in wrath. I'm going to act in the other ways that the Bible tells me I'm supposed to be towards someone, especially someone who I love, who's my best friend, especially towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want to be a, my life to be a landing base of operations for the enemy to get you guys. If you have an anger problem, this is where the turning around starts by saying, God, I'm choosing to put off wrath. By saying, God, my wrath isn't okay. I'm agreeing with you. Like, my wrath isn't okay. And I choose to stop dealing with my anger in the way that I deem is best. I choose to stop giving a landing strip for the enemy into my heart. Now, if you've already made that kind of commitment to God, you've recognized, okay, God, this is not cool. Like, my wrath is not good. My wrath with the kids or with my spouse or my work environment or people in general or the president or whoever, like, that's not okay. I realize that. But if you recognize that and you're still struggling with anger, though, well, then that means you need to let God renew your mind, change your thinking on anger. You need to learn to be able to recognize the difference between anger and wrath. I grew up with a, a very angry dad before he was saved. My, my dad's saved now. He's a different man. But you know, before he got saved, he was a very angry man. And, and he would take that out oftentimes on his spouse and on us as kids. He was not violent physically with us ever, but I was always frightened of my dad. I swore to myself when I was a, an adult, I was a dad, I wouldn't be like that. I didn't want to be someone who had an anger issue. And you know what? When I first had my first son, I was good. I did it. I was able to keep my cool, and I was able to communicate well, and he grew up, and I was like, this is good. I'm doing a good job. I'm being a good dad. And then we had a second child, and I don't know what happened. I mean, I lost my temper all the time after that. There were a lot of life experiences that were challenging during that time, a lot of things that surely contributed, but at some point, I decided it was okay to respond to things I didn't like however I wanted. And it came to a point that when our third child, my daughter was like two or three, and Bev started pleading with me. She's like, Will, why are you so angry? And I remember thinking to myself, I, am I angry? 
And then examining my behavior and my speech and going, I'm angry. How did I get so angry? It's easy to go down that slippery slope when you just decide to act on the anger instead of saying, God, there's a right way to handle the feelings I have right now, and I need you to help me to wade through all that. And so I started getting into the Word. I started confessing it as sin. I started asking God to show me the difference between anger and wrath. And I started making that slow journey to being a different man, to being the man that I wanted to be with my kids and my wife. If you're struggling with anger, you need to learn to recognize the difference between anger and wrath. You need more of the Bible. You need to start running to the Holy Spirit when your anger is aroused so that He can produce the fruit of the Spirit through you instead of you acting however you want. It has to be a willful, conscious thing. You say, I'm deciding to do this because it's not just going to happen. You have to decide to leave wrath and vengeance to the Lord. So, And as you probably imagine, we are not going to get to generosity today and theft. So we'll cover the start there in verse 28 next week. Let's all stand. I'm out of time. So, did Paul get up in your space today? <laughs> he's gonna, and he's gonna keep doing it, all right? I mean, like the next few weeks are not gonna be comfortable, right? They're not designed to be comfortable. They're designed to make us uncomfortable. They're designed to grab us by the heart, grab us by the nape of the neck, and to say, hey, stop doing this. Start doing this. So if you were challenged this morning by, by the Apostle Paul, by the words of the Lord here, in his word, that's a good thing. Because the cool part is God challenges us because he loves us. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, right? He chastens every son that's his. So you're an adopted son, right? You've been raised to the position of an adopted son. You're a joint heir with Christ, right? Well, God spanks his kids. And so if this morning, if he pulled you aside as we were going through this and he said, hey, we need to talk. This needs to stop. This needs to change. If that's the case, then the scripture has beautiful promises for us. It says we are dearly loved by God. We are, all of our sins are washed away. And when we come to him and we confess our sin and we repent and we decide we want to change, that beautiful truth is that God will help us and he will change us. So don't leave today. If the Lord kind of got in your space and he spoke to you about some things, don't leave today without making it right, without having that time of repentance with the Lord. And if you need to, go find somebody. If you need to, which very well may be the case, if you've discovered, you know what? I have a problem with lying. I have a problem with honesty. I have a problem with anger. Go find somebody. Go find multiple somebodies and tell them. See, that the self-life says, no, no, don't say that. Don't, don't let anybody know you've got these problems. But what the Lord says is, this is your family. They're not gonna think less of you. They love you. Go find them. Talk to them and say, hey, I need some accountability. I need you to kind of be that person I can contact and be like, I'm furious right now. Like, I'm shaking as I'm talking to you. I'm holding my phone, my hand's shaking. Can you pray for me? Can we talk? Because I don't wanna go talk to this person that I'm shaking for right now until I stop shaking. I want to do this right. Do that. Deal with it. And watch what God will do. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much that you love us enough, Lord, to call us out on these things, to get in our personal space, Lord, to bring that sweet, loving conviction of your spirit so that we can bring ourselves into line, that we would be those people who we just don't 
We don't live our lives that we just continue living the lie, continue living the self-life, that we don't just continue acting on anger however we deem is fit, that our lives are, are a fortress with, with no walls that's constantly exposed to the enemy and he has a, a landing strip to, to do his business. We don't want to be that. And so for those who are praying right now saying, God, I, I confess to you that I need to put this off and I choose to do so. God, would you fill them with your spirit? Would you direct them to people that they can interact with who can pray for them and encourage them and, and hold them accountable, Lord, that Lord, we can leave here if we struggled with some of these things being different. That we can leave here with a plan on how we're gonna grow and we're not gonna be that way anymore. That we are making that choice to stop sinning in these ways that we can shine as lights for you and be a blessing to one another. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.